Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All views of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. It is Saturday the 12th of October. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. Good morning, Giselle. You're looking uh, nice and happy this morning. Uh, my name's Pierre Morrow. And yeah, that's Pierre's great. chuckling it's great because he be... stole the good weekend off me this morning, so I haven't been able to do the Sudoku. You'd realise that uh, a lot of our international listeners would go, what is that woman talking about? The good weekend? <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, a, it's a local um, joke that local people will get it. I'm sorry. We are, we are, we are a global, but, you know. These, you're, you're such these an young, internationalist, that, like even in your thinking. That's that's correct, Giselle. We have to be that way. Anyway, on um, and of course, Asia Pacific Currents comes every week to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And before you tell those numbers, Giselle, thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for another interesting program and that um, song, which um, I'm not too sure who it was. It was um, Save Footscray Park, which again, for people who are not in Melbourne, would have no idea, but it's really a, a song about um, saving public lands, which uh, in common with lots of cities around the world, uh, public land is being um, sold off, um, privatised for profits for the few. So that's an issue in Melbourne as well. But uh, who is AWL and how do you get in contact, Giselle? That's right. Asia Pacific Currency is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. If you want to find out more about us or follow our news and information, you can go to our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, you can also email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. Um, we build and support international solidarity and that is why we bring you news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. I will say... In the second part of the show, we're going to bring you a story. Um, We'll be speaking with Kevin Bracken. For those of you who know, he is the former secretary of the MUA, one of the leaders of the Patrick's dispute back in 1998. Um, And now as a rank and file worker, he is an activist around international labour movement issues. We're going to talk to him about Oceana Gold, a a Philippines mining company, that it, I actually thinks it's an Australian yeah, company. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. It's an Australian company that is wreaking havoc and destroying Aboriginal land in El Salvador and in the Philippines. So we're going to talk to him about where the fight is at in relation to Oceana Gold, particularly in the lead up to IMARC, which is, uh, I think, the 27th of October. Yeah, it's the International Mining Company of the World. Uh, really, it's a big conference. But And, of course, we go to the news roundup right now. You've got the first news story, and I I'm do. happy to announce it's actually a, a good, news, good story. news story. Teachers in Jordan win their strike. A couple of weeks ago, we brought you news about the indefinite strike by over 100,000 teachers in Jordan. The government had initially refused to negotiate but after four weeks, the teachers have managed to win most of their demands. 
One of the reasons for the teacher's success was the fact that support for the teacher's demands was very strong, even in small towns and in regional areas, which has traditionally been a stronghold of support for the monarchy. This support, in turn, shows the extent of anger among the population to years of austerity and persistent high rates of unemployment. The teachers won pay rises of between 35 and 60% starting from next year. This... um turn in public support for resistance movements I think is very, very significant. We're seeing that in relation to the environment movement and now with um, uh, workers who are going on strike and uh, normally the rhetoric is that this is disadvantaging ordinary people. It's very good to see that that um, uh, bypass our mainstream support yes, is in- increasing. That's, that's right, that's right. And um, unfortunately, the next item is not such good news stories. We remain in the region and we go to northern Syria where this week saw a new battlefront open up in northern Syria following uh, the US President Trump's snap announcement of withdrawal of um, USA troops and support from areas controlled by the Syrian Democratic Forces, a mainly um, ethnically Kurdish organisation. The government of Turkey, headed by the authoritarian Recep Tayyip Erdogan, saw this as a political opportunity to whip up nationalist feeling by unleashing a long-promised and planned military invasion. Turkey's goals are to secure a border region so that it can send Syrian refugees now in Turkey to this zone, while at the same time inflict great damage to Kurdish forces and their political aspirations. While the outcome of this military operation is uncertain, this new war will generate hundreds of thousands of new refugees from northern Syria while creating further uncertainty for the two to three million Syrian refugees um, currently in Turkey. And still in the region, West Asia, a new report has detailed how in the last seven years, thousands of migrant workers have died while in Qatar in locations outside of their immediate workplace. Most of these deaths occur... um, uh, the workers are often young, are asleep, uh, and the phenomenon has been locally dubbed as sudden death syndrome. While local authorities label these deaths as natural causes or heart attacks, the reality is that no autopsies are being carried out. Medical researchers, on the other, uh, are linking these deaths to heat stress and um, the effect this has on their on the workers' cardiovascular systems as many of these workers are in temperatures of up to 45 degrees for up to 10 hours a day. Independent unions don't exist in Qatar. Uh, it's hard to know what to say about that, isn't it? That, yeah. Uh, We now go to Central Asia, to Kashmir, where this week hundreds of journalists in the northwest Indian state of Kashmir stage a rare public protest against the continuing occupation by Indian troops. The journalist protest was not just about calling for an end to the occupation, but also highlighting the fact that there is a complete media and information blackout in Kashmir. They accused the Indian government of deliberately trying to suppress and stop the flow of information from Kashmir so the voices of the most oppressed cannot be heard. The occupation and clampdown in Kashmir has now been going on for over two months. In Thailand this week, the Thai government announced a new regulation that will force coffee shop owners to track and store the data of customers using their Wi-Fi. 
Thailand's Digital Economy and Society Ministry has demanded that cafe owners retain a log file of their customers' browsing data for at least 90 days, in line with Section 26 of the country's Computer Crimes Act. This is seen by Labor and human rights activists as another move by government to stifle political dissent, no shit, and free speech, (laughs) which is already under serious attack. As an example, last Wednesday, <clears throat> political activist um, Khan Pongprapapen, um, uh, this political activist was uh, by the Technology Crime Suppression Division was was uh, arrested for a violation of Article 14 of the Computer Related Crime Act. Khan's alleged crime was to post on Facebook an entry about the history of monarchies in other countries and how they ended. Also, which is just history, actually. <laughs> that, that's right. <clears throat> it's actually not even about Thailand. <laughs> also this week, a Twitter hashtag, hashtag Royal Motorcade, that comments on the traffic disruption that Royal Motorcades caused to Bangkok came under official scrutiny. Um, again, it just shows you how wide uh, the repression is there and, and the climate of fear that it um, creates, which is actually what it wants to do. Um, we now go to South Korea where, um, Giselle, actually this um, should have been for you, um, given that you like uh, aerial protests, but unfortunately um, you actually handed them out and I, I missed this. But anyway, I'll read it out for you. Um, Park Moon-jin, an advising member at the Korean uh, Health and Medical Workers Union, and Song Yuk-suk, who is the vice head of this branch, this week completed their 100th day of an aerial protest on top of a building 70 metres above the ground. The two labour activists were fired with other workers from the Yangnam uh, University Medical Centre in Seoul. The medical centre actually used a third party, um, a Changzhou Consulting, to carry out the dismissals. The workers see these actions as clear union-busting behaviour by the medical centre, calling on all dismissed workers to be reinstated as well as their respecting of union rights. So we'll see how long this uh, aerial protests go. Koreans have got a bit of a uh, record of, of doing such protests. Moving on to the uh, broader and prolific issue of wage theft, earlier in the week it was disclosed that a group of about 40 refugees and migrants working at Polytrade, one of Australia's biggest recycling companies, had been underpaid an estimated $1 million in a single year. In addition, they were forced to work more than 70 hours a week, seven days a week, in dangerous and hazardous working conditions. Workers would often complain of working with aches and pains and suffering frequent blood noses and blood in the mouth. As is common with such situations, the workers were not employed directly by Polytrade, but were subcontracted to a related company. The workers, represented by the Australian Workers' Union, are now taking legal action to recoup their back pay. I mean, it's an unfortunate uh, but very common story, isn't it, Giselle, this uh, wage theft. And um, so that's the end of the news roundup for the the week. Um, Unfortunately, there was a number of uh, really quite shocking stories, but this also shows the the struggle that our movement undergoes and uh, keeps fighting. We'll go to a couple of community announcements and then we'll be back with Kevin Bracken. 
whether it's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into, 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontieres, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hit Sister Hop on 3CR 855 AM. Music matters on 3CR 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. Call 9419 8377. The newspaper shout, a new style is born. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People got to understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. It's still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. It's 13 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Our next guest is Kevin Bracken, known to many of you listeners. He uh, He's a rank and file member of the MUA, but was formerly the secretary of that union and one of the leaders of the Patrick's dispute back in 1998. Kevin's an activist around international solidarity issues and particularly environmental um, and anti-corporation uh, campaign. And one of the one of the biggest campaigns at the moment is against the mining companies and in relation to environmental justice. Oceana Gold is a is an Australian mining company and is responsible for the destruction of uh, Aboriginal homelands in the Philippines and Ecuador and across the world. It's a campaign that Kevin is involved in, and he joins us on the show this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Giselle. Kevin, where is the campaign at against Oceana Gold's operations at the moment? Well, it's been probably going on about six years here in Australia, ever since it bought out a um, Canadian company, Pacific Rim, which had a um, ISDS case against El Salvador for $300 million, which is probably half their school budget for the year. And that um, the decision against Oceana Gold was handed down three years ago on this Monday, on the 14th of October. Um, but currently, they lost the case, and El Salvador became the first country in the world to ban all metal mining. And that was largely due to the actions of, of um, Oceana Gold. The ISDS legislation that they used to do it has a freezing effect on other countries. I went to El Salvador in 2000 and 2013, and there was a Two mines. There was another one, the Cerro Blanco mine, was just over the border in um, in Guatemala. At that at that mine, there'd been um, six people killed. There was a curfew put on the place. They wanted to shut down. They were worried about um, shutting the mine down because they thought they would get an ISDS case against them as 
just exactly the same as what um, Oceana Gold was running against El Salvador. So that mine's still operating. So it's not only has an effect, you know, on the, it's a freezing effect on other countries to legislate in their gains. And I think there's currently, Colombia's been sued for about $16 billion in cases, ISTS cases, Mexico for about $3 billion, um, and Uruguay for about $3 billion as well. Anyway, that case was handed, was they lost the case. They had to pay some money back to El Salvador, but not as much as the country cost them. Yeah. El Salvador. Sorry, Kevin, can I yeah. just interrupt? This is this is Pierre. Just for our listeners, what's what is ISTS? Investor State Dispute Settlement Procedures. There have been a lot of free trade agreements, and then the last three that we've signed, we've, they've all included ISDS legislation too. So those cases are heard in the ICTID Tribunal in Washington, which is in a part of the World Bank. It's a, and it's been um, legislation to protect investors. But what's happened is that now that law is being used, not against... Um, it was meant to stop countries from nationalising their, their industries. But what it's being used for now is companies are saying, this is how much money profits I would have, um, would have earned, and because you've changed your legislation, I'm going to sue you for that amount. And that's what happened with El Salvador. Oceana Gold never had the um, met a mining permit. They had an exploration permit, which they bought when they bought the company Pacific Rim. And they, the only tangible asset they had was this investor state dispute settlement case against El Salvador. So I thought it was extremely um, bad that an Australian-based company based in Collins Street was pretty well off. It's still one of the poorest countries on earth for like half their school's budget for the year. It is extraordinary what you're describing and of course we do know that this is the uh, insanity of capitalism that you can have a situation where these massive, massive companies can sue entire governments for effectively what is workers, taxpayer dollars that are supposed to go to, like you said, education, probably roads, health, etc., but there was a win. There was some kind of win against Oceana Gold. How? Firstly, what was the nature of the legal um, victory, even if it is ever so minor? And and what's your political analysis of how that victory came about? Well, I think it came about because of um, was a number of things. There was a number of academic studies done. Bob Moran, who was a hydrologist from the USA, did a study after um, the ca- company had taken the case against El Salvador, and they found that it put zero amount on the um, water. Part of the people in El Salvador were actually looking forward to the mine operating. They thought, oh, it'll be jobs, it'll be good for everything. When they started drilling, drilling the exploration wells, uh, the, the exploration holes, wells dried up that had been operating since time immemorial. And El Salvador was one of the um, most water-staffed countries on Earth. There's only 2% of the water is drinkable now because of previous mining activity there. And also, it's volcanic soil, so when you turn over the, a lot of the rocks, they become sulfuric when they're added with water, and um, it's, it's poisoned a lot of the water supply. So people started campaigning, and then they started having a look at what happened in gold mines in Honduras and over the border in a few other countries there, and they found that it was a it was a negative effect. The 
there was a mine, uh, the Commerce Mine had a, had a mine in El Salvador from about 1904 till about 1984. They'd taken out, I think, 20 tonnes of gold in that area. There wasn't even so much as a bitumen road left. All that was left for the people there was a poison water supply system. So opposition grew and um, environmental groups you know, sprung up around around Cabanas, where the uh, mine was supposed to operate, and they started opposition, opposing it. And it was picked up by um, other groups in there. The bishops in El Salvador voted we should be banning mining. And even there was a right-wing uh, government at the time um, banned, put a um, ban on any uh, new mining permits. So that, under that, that's what caused um, Pacific Rim at the time to take the case to an ISDS tribunal in Washington, and that case went for seven years, and it was handed. The result was handed down in uh, 2016 that they had to pay eight million dollars back to El Salvador because they lost the case. One of the reasons they did lose the case is that the the people who live there are meant to give their free and prior consent to the mine. That means they've got to know fully what's going on, and that never happened. So. Um, they also didn't own all the land where, the, where they wanted to take the mining permit out. So the ISDS case uh, was lost against them, but it generated so much opposition in El Salvador that later on in March of 2017, the government passed unanimously legislation banning all metalliferous mining in the country. So and it's a country with about 360 people per square kilometre. Only 2% of its water is drinkable now. And so it was a, like a good example of the government action in the interest of their people. Yes, but of course that that was uh, thanks for that. But of course it was after massive struggle by the by a lot of workers and other progressive groups in that country. Now there's also an issue with Oceana Gold in the Philippines, and that's also been a, a long long struggle. Can can you um, explain that uh, to our listeners as well, please? Yep. Well, the mining permit that the um, Oceana Gold's got is one of the first issues under the new Mining Act of the Philippines. And every 25 years, the, the uh, lease comes up for renewal. Well, the renewal date was the 20th of June. And the governor of Nevada, Vizcaya, who was also had been the speaker in the um, the speaker at the Philippines Parliament, wanted the mine shut. He could see no benefit for it, for the local people there, and it was poisoned the water supply... Also, what had happened, I think 168 people's homes had been uh, destroyed. A person had been shot. had been trying to stop the um, demolition of a neighbour's house. And um, on the 20th of June, when, when the governor, government in El Salvador banned metalliferous mining, the governor of Nevada, Vizcaya, was over there for, in, the, in the El Salvador parliament at the time. Mm-hmm. And that spurred him on to come back and, and do his best to have the mine shut down. So on the 20th of June, people in the local community put a barricade on there. Um, Oceana Gold tried to put an injunction against the barricade and they were unsuccessful. The magistrate ruled, the local magistrate ruled, said no, the mining permits expired. The um, governor's ordered you to close down, so he didn't, he didn't grant the injunction. And that barricade still holds out now. So on Monday, we're having a protest at the front of Oceana Gold's office on, um, at 357 Collins Street in support of the people of Nevada Vizcaya. And it's a campaign to save Nevada Vizcaya. 
Thanks. In mining, all of, all mining projects in the Philippines contribute about six point six seven percent to the Philippines GDP. Just the um, agricultural produce in the valley south of, the, of where the mine is produces about one point six seven percent of the Philippines GDP. So it's going to do more harm than good, and it's um, by popular support there that they want the people in that area want the mine shut. Now you've um, uh, the MUA and other activist groups here in Australia have uh, had many demonstrations and uh, against Oceana Gold in solidarity with both the uh, workers and the communities in the Philippines and El Salvador. What has been response of Oceana Gold uh, to you? Well, we've had very minimal effect. We had um, Bidlern and Morales come out from El Salvador and we she spoke at the first uh, rally we had at their office when they were based in 250 Collins Street and she didn't want to engage with them because she just wanted them out of the place. So I said, do you want to go up there? She said, no, we don't want to. So we haven't engaged them much. Um, what happened is we did have one meeting with them Father Bob Maguire, who was also supporting the campaign, put out a tweet, you know, saying that about the um, OCA gold, what they're doing to the water supply in El Salvador. On that, the person who was doing their publicity said, I'd like to have a meeting with you. So Bob said to me, can I come too? I said, yeah, no worries. So I went and we had that meeting with him. So, you know, we started talking about the people who has been five or six people being murdered who were campaigning for the closure of the mine, environmental activists. And we said to them, what about this? And they said, this has got nothing to do with us. This is all gang-related. So I said, well, how about page 35 of this document, which had been produced by the um, International Policy Studies, IPS, in the USA? And page 35 said that um, the vice president of um, Pacific Rim, which is a company that Oceana Gold bought out, was caught dismembering a local municipal employee. They couldn't charge him with murder, but they charged him with um, cutting up a body and putting him in two suitcases. He was he was in charge of also he was in charge of the operations in El Salvador at that time, and there was five people missed. The first one um, who had died, first one was Marcelo Rivera. He was a school teacher. He went missing. They found him two weeks later down the bottom. Of, his body was down the bottom of a mine, with torture signs. You know, compatible with what they used to do in the with the death squads in El Salvador, um, there was, um, I can't remember all their names, and I apologise, because every time we do say it, we, we venture their names out the front because it's important. They're not statistics of people. He was shot four, uh, eight times in the back. They put a police guard on him. Later on, he was shot, and the woman who was hitchhiking in the truck next to him was killed too. When four people had up with M16s. Um... Um, daughter Soto, a mother of six, was um, shot. She was eight months pregnant at the time. But also, um, the bullet went through her two-year-old son. She was nursing. And another student was killed in 2011. He went missing and they found his body in a mass grave. So... Kevin, you are describing the brutality uh, of of capitalism and and the extent that companies will go to to defend and protect their profits in the face of protest and resistance and any effective kind of resistance. And of course, what you're saying isn't limited to Oceana Gold. I mean, um, <clears throat> big 
companies that run the world behave this way, and particularly mining companies, which is a strategic industry for the the ongoing operations of global capital. In addition to the protest on Monday, and I'll give you an opportunity to re-mention those details, are you involved in the IMARC blockade targeting all um, mining companies that behave in these reprehensible ways? Yeah, we are. As a matter of fact, we were at the um, Victorian Trades All Council yesterday and the Victorian Trades All Council passed a resolution saying they support the um, block- blockade of the IMARC conference. Excellent. So I was, just, I was at a meeting with the International Committee for um, Human Rights in the Philippines. One of the largest problems is in the Philippines now, the um, in Mindanao. Mindanao's been under martial law for two years. Um, while we were over there, the Sultan of Malawi, Malawi was there. Now, I don't know if people saw a show on channels on um, 60 Minutes, probably about a month or so ago. We've just got it. we've yeah. got about a minute left, Kevin. No worries, it's all right. No, uh, but anyway, the people have been thrown out. It's under martial law, and the native people have, have been seeking refuge. A lot of them have gone to Manila, and Calica Sands been um, protecting them. They're being harassed now by the police. They're being red baited. So if anyone can go on the Calica Sand website and give them support, that'd be great. I'll speak to you later at a later date about the rest. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. We will get you on in the future. Thanks so much for your time on the program this morning. Thanks, Giselle. Thanks for your No worries. Cheers. That was Kevin Bracken, an international solidarity activist, rank-and-file member of the MUA and former secretary of the MUA. It does bring us to the end of the show. And um, and can you remember the um, the, the details? For we Monday? will advertise them on oh. our Facebook page. I I just can't right now. All right, I think it's Monday the fourteenth. Um, it it of, is definitely a Monday, Monday the fourteenth of October. But that's all that we've got time from. Um, Giselle's looking on her phone desperately with uh, about fifteen seconds to go. But in any case, um, you've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Brought to you every week by Australia Asia Workerlinks on your favourite community radio station. And um, no, we haven't quite got it, but it is on, on Monday. Stay, stay tuned. Look at our Facebook page, Australia Asia Workerlinks. Um, thanks, for having, thanks for listening to us and, and great to be here. We'll be back next week with another program of Asia Pacific Currents, but stay tuned to 3CR and Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.